Coming up on Philosophy Talk, the philosophy of history. History is the version of past events that people have decided to agree upon. Is there an objective truth about the past? History is the sum total of things that could have been avoided. Is history written by the winners? The first atomic bomb was dropped on Hiroshima, a military base. We have used it in order to shorten the agony of war, in order to save the lives of thousands and thousands of young Americans. Harry Truman, Doris Day, Red China, Johnny Ray, South Pacific, Walter Winchell, Joe DiMaggio. Joe McCarthy, Richard Nixon, Studebaker, Television, North Korea, South Korea, Marilyn Monroe. Is history just one thing after another, with no progress? Our guest is Daniel Little, author of History's Pathway. The Philosophy of History, coming up on Philosophy Talk, after the news. Welcome to Philosophy Talk, the program that questions everything. Except your intelligence. I'm John Perry. And I'm Ken Taylor. We're coming to you from the studios of KALW San Francisco. Continuing conversations that began at Philosopher's Corner on the Stanford campus. Today, the philosophy of history. Ken, history's happening right now. Pretty important history, according to a lot of commentators. But what is history? Why don't you give us a simple definition? Okay, here, that's, that's an easy one. History is the sum total of past events. Ken, A for simplicity, C minus for content. That's not very plausible. That definition encompasses every single event that has so far happened in the universe, from the Big Bang to the emergence of humankind and everything in between. We maybe sometimes talk about history in this broad and inclusive sense, but surely that's not what we're talking about today. Oh, okay, okay. I, I admit that was too simple. Try, but try this definition on precise instead. History is the study of the sum total of past human actions and the conditions and circumstances, and circumstances under which those actions take place. Is that better? Well, that's much improved, but I have a worry. The first definition equated history with past events. The second definition talks about the study or representation of past events. So what is it? Is history the past, or is it the books that we write about the past? It's, it's, it's both, really. Sometimes we use the word history to refer to a sequence of past events. We talk about the history of the United States, the Declaration of Independence, the Civil War, all that. Those are past events. But, you know, we also use, it, use it, uh, the word history to refer to uh, representations of the past. Historians say things like, I'm going to write a history of the United States. That, that's a book. Now, you know, there are deep and interesting philosophical questions, both about the past itself and about our representation of the, of the past. Okay, well, we'll keep that ambiguity in mind, and let's start with deep questions about the past itself. Does history have a direction, a pattern, like people like Hegel thought? Are historical events governed by fixed, unchanging laws? Maybe Toynbee thought that? Or does the fact that history is driven by human actions mean that it's always kind of unpredictable? It always could have gone a different way. It just depends on the choices that the main players in the, in the history made. And, and those questions bear directly on questions about the uh, study and representation of the past. Questions like this. Is history more like a science 
or more like literature and the arts. Science claims to deal in objective matters of fact, repeatable events, and strict impersonal laws. Literature and the arts, on the other hand, deal in the subjective narration and interpretation of human affairs. So what's the job of the historian, the intellectual? Uh, scientific explanation or narrative interpretation? Well, I guess they have to do a little bit of both. If you're writing about World War II, you have to write about the conditions that led to it, the economic problems and so forth, but you also have to tell what the people who were involved in it were thinking, and, and how can that, that, that tells you about what it meant to them, and how can you do that without thinking about what it means to us? Well, but these are very different things, this causal explanation and this narrative interpretation, aren't they? I mean, the meaning of World War II depends a lot on where you stand, both then and now. I mean, whether you stand, stood with the Nazis or with their victims. Uh, figuring out the cause of World War II, on the other hand, seems more open to dispassionate analysis and, and explanation, and it doesn't seem to depend on where you stand. I suspect it's not that easy to untangle them, because after all, the, the important events like wars and, and, and things like that, they're, they're caused by what people do, but that's caused by what they think, their interpretation of where they are and what they should do. And how can we understand their interpretation of events without ourselves asking, were they right? Well, were they wrong? I think you're making a deep and, interest and important point, John. In human affairs, the meanings we perceive or, or throw upon events are, are important factors, major factors in determining how we act. Cause is meaning, and meaning is cause. Well, I agree. Cause is meaning, and meaning is cause. Uh, it would be a strange world if, if, if that weren't true, if you think about it. At any rate, there's a lot about the philosophy of history for us to sink our teeth into. Our guest, Daniel Little, is the author of History's Pathways, and he can help us think through both the nature of the past itself and the nature of our representations of it. And we'd like your input, too. Join the conversation by calling 1-800-525-9917. That's 1-800-525-9917. But first, to show the importance of how the past is represented, our roving philosophical reporter Nancy Mullane pays a visit to a military-based-turned-museum where a part of American history is being re-represented. She files this report. Dennis Gregg taught history for 37 years at the same San Francisco public high school he attended as a student. But even after he retired a couple of years ago, he still didn't know anything about America's first foreign war. There wasn't anything about it in his own high school textbook in the 1950s, and he didn't learn about it in college. Probably 99% of the people in the United States don't know that there was a war between the Philippines and the United States. And even when he was teaching history, there still wasn't anything about it in the updated state-approved school textbooks. So for more than three decades, the war didn't come up. No discussion, no tests. I never taught it. I really didn't know it. I mean, I have learned since. Greg finally learned about the Philippine-American War when San Francisco's Presidio National Park opened its new exhibit titled War and Descent, the United States and the Philippines, 1898 to 1915. At first, Greg says he was both curious and baffled. There was a war? So with retirement time on his hands, he signed up to be a volunteer docent. Well, I've learned so much here, and I've learned a whole lot, not just from me, but from people who've come here, who know a lot more than I do. Almost virtually all of them have been Filipino. In fact, all of them have been. The very initial trigger to this exhibit was a donation to the Presidio Trust of a diary. Jeffrey Wyke is in charge of public programs for the Presidio Trust. A diary kept by a soldier while he was stationed in the Presidio and then sent to the Philippines. 
And when the diary was donated, the grandson turned to the historian and said, why was my grandfather in the Philippines? Sergeant Hiram Harlow was one of 100,000 U.S. troops trained at the Presidio and sent to fight in the Philippines for almost 20 years. The war was a bit of a bait-and-switch. At first, in 1898, the U.S. told the Filipinos, hungry for independence from colonial Spain, it would help them get their sovereignty. But after getting rid of Spain, the U.S. changed course and instead became an army of occupation. Many people don't know the story, and that's why it's an important story to tell. I think the information was always there. It's just people were making decisions as to what stories were being told, what was making its way into textbooks, what was making its way into the classrooms. Walking through the exhibit in one of the former Army base's oldest buildings, a half dozen rooms are filled with artifacts historians have collected over the past three years since the diary was handed to them. Photographs show Filipinos being tortured by American troops using a new technique called the water cure. Today in the U.S. war on terrorism, it's called waterboarding. I think our mission is to tell the story as it happened. And history is not always pretty. The Presidio's Jeffrey White. What makes this exhibit so fascinating and even chilling is its bold look back, lifting the heavy covers off a century-old war that was almost buried for good. Again, Dennis Gregg. I think, yeah, if people see this, I mean, hopefully it'll make them question, what else haven't I learned? Uh, what else are things that um, might help to explain why the United States turned out how it did that I've never considered? For Philosophy Talk, I'm Nancy Mullane. You can listen to the rest of this episode by purchasing it on iTunes Music, or for unlimited listening, subscribe to our archive at philosophytalk.org.